Welcome, and thank you for joining us for today's CME podcast. PrimeMed podcasts are dedicated to providing on-the-go clinicians with pertinent, evidence-based primary care content that won't take too much time out of your busy schedule. Information about CME credits and faculty for today's podcast can be found within this activity's landing page on primemed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Be sure to also go to this location in order to claim your CME credits after the program. Thank you, and enjoy. Welcome to this installment of our series on basal insulin. I'm Dr. John Anderson, and I practice internal medicine and diabetes at the Frist Clinic in Nashville, Tennessee. And with us, we have Dr. Jim Gavin. And I'm clinical professor of medicine at the Emory University School of Medicine in Atlanta. And on this podcast, we're going to talk about tailored to fit, initiation and titration of basal insulin. So what do we know about guidance regarding use of other glucose-lowering agents when we're starting on basal insulin? Well, we're in general going to continue metformin, GLP-1 receptor agonists, DPP-4 inhibitors. We're going to use sodium glucose cotransporter 2s, the SGLT2 inhibitors. Now, most of us would probably cut back or, when able to, decrease or stop the sulfonylurea to prevent hypoglycemia. We also have to remember, even if you're using a low-dose thiazolidine dione, or TZD, pioglitazone being the one available in the U.S. market, you want to be careful about edema or heart failure when you add basal insulin. And you can consider discontinuation of other agents on an individual basis, you know, to try to save cost and try to decrease the complexity of the regimen itself. So how do you initiate basal insulin patients with type 2 diabetes? You know, we've been doing this for a long time in primary care and in endocrinology since 2000 when U100 was the, really the first true sort of basal insulin addressed uh, and introduced to the marketplace. The ACE guidelines start with using either 0.1 to 0.2 units per kilogram per day if their A1C is less than 8%, or 0.2 to 0.3 units per kilogram per day if their A1C is greater than 8%. The ADA says 0.1 to 0.2 units per kilogram per day, or start with 10 units a day. Now, some of the newer guidelines for the novel basal insulin analogs, for example, U300 Glargine, it's recommended it's starting at 0.2 units per kilo per day. And for Degladec, whether it's U100 or U200, starting at 10 units a day. And consider the impact of the units per pen on copay. You know, Jim, one of the things we started early on was starting on this 10 units per day, but we've got a lot of patients who are obese, insulin resistant, you know, they've got high baseline A1Cs. 10 units not going to get us much, is it? No, and I think that's one of the challenges that we have. We're seeing more and more people with insulin resistance, high levels of obesity. 10 units a day is not going to get us very far for a lot of those people, and that's why we really need to look at this more carefully. Right, and at 0.2 units per kilo per day or even 20 units, you're probably going to be giving enough for the patient to actually start to see that needle move on their glucoses, but not enough to cause hypoglycemia right out of the gate. And I think the other thing about it too, John, is that we have to look at that in light of not only what their starting weight is and what their insulin needs might be given their levels of insulin resistance, but what are their baseline A1Cs? We're talking about people who come in with high 8s or 9s, well, you're probably not going to get them a lot of trouble by uh, giving them that 0.2 units per kilo per day. Right. Well, you know, and once we start, we talk to our patients, you know, how do you titrate basal insulins? You know, ADA and ACE guidelines say if the blood glucose is above a target, you know, 10 to 20% increase. If it's at target, no change. If the blood glucose is in that hypoglycemic range and below target, you may want to decrease by 10 to 40%. With U300 glargine in the label, it says increase from 
plus three to plus six units uh, with no change if you're at goal or subtract three units if you're below the target. And for Degladec, both U100 and U200, it's an increase of two units if you're above target, no change, or minus two units. But these are all going to be titrated based upon the fasting glucose from two to three previous measurements in the morning. You know, the ACE targets say less than 100, ADA a little more in the middle of the ballpark there at 80 to 130 milligrams per deciliter. But one of the things I think is really important, and this is the instruction I give my patients, on the newer agents, the newer really concentrated U300 and the Degladec, I don't have them titrate till about five to seven days because it takes that long to get to steady state and you really don't want to titrate any more frequently than every three to four days because it's going to take a little time to see that effect. So, you know, the other point that I've heard you make in lectures is give them a cap. What do you mean by that? It's extremely important that folks get accustomed to the notion that you're not going to fix all of your problems uh, with basal insulin alone. And so what we want to do is make sure that people don't go veering uh, beyond uh, the 0.5 unit per kilo per day of basal insulin because that's generally when people start getting into problems with hypoglycemia. And so what you do, now they may not, but what you want to do is you don't want them going into that range without calling you up and discussing it. So fix their cap. If they weigh 100 kilos, you, know, you tell them, listen, before you go over 50 units a day, Call me. Let's talk about it. Let's see where you are in terms of your patterns, in terms of what your A1C level is, and then we talk about how to drive the titration from that point forward. And I think we're moving the needle on that because I know that early on, especially in primary care, we just more and more basal insulin was all we did instead of looking at patterns in postprandials and realizing, you know, patient didn't need 75, 80, 90 units of basal insulin. They needed something to cover their postprandials. Now, the other thing we want to talk about with our patients is proper injection technique, and this is essential for accurate insulin dosing. So NPH is the only insulin that needs thorough mixing before uh, to minimize the dosing variability. Uh, absorption can vary by injection site. I typically like to use the abdomen and have them rotate sites, but you can use the thigh, you can use the back of the arm. But if you're using it at some extremity, you may have a more rapid uptake because of movement and activity that could change that time action profile. You want to inject into a clean, dry site, and alcohol wipes are not necessary, but it does need to be clean and dry. You don't need needles longer than four to six millimeters because this is a subcutaneous injection. And after injecting, keep that needle in the skin for the recommended dwell time. And, you know, give them a count, five seconds, ten seconds, whatever is reasonable. And then you want to rotate those sites to avoid lipohypertrophy and lipoatrophy. And if you're using a combination regimen, inject each agent into a different site. And I think the point I've heard you make is if something's not going right, maybe you ought to watch what they're doing. Is that right? Absolutely, because we always think that once you teach it, it's learned and it's going to be practiced in exactly that way going forward. And people get relaxed. People get comfortable. And they start getting slack in their technique. If things don't look like they should look in terms of what you expect the response to be, make sure that you examine technique. So, Jim, let's talk about a patient, a 58-year-old man with nine years of duration of diabetes. A1C is elevated at 8.8%, and this is someone who weighs 275 pounds, which is 125 kilos. And his current regimen is maximum dose metformin, 2,000 milligrams, spit, split evenly between morning and evening a sulfonylurea, an SGLT2 inhibitor, and this person has tried and failed due to intolerance 
a GLP-1 receptor agonist. And he describes that he sometimes misses evening medication doses by falling asleep in his chair watching TV. And the decision has been made with that elevated A1C of 8.8% on several orals and intolerance to a GLP-1 that basal insulin would be popular for him. So you're going to have that conversation with him. How do you start? So the first thing I would do in a case like this is to point out to this patient, one, that he's had the disease for a number of years, nine years that we know of. It's likely that it's been there longer. So this is now long-duration diabetes, and one of the things we expect is that, you know, over time, your body is going to have fewer and fewer beta cells working for it, so you're not going to be able to produce your own insulin. And you're on multiple drugs. You're on metformin, you're on a sulfonylurea, you're on an SGLT2 inhibitor. And what we know from a vast amount of experience is that if you aren't able to get any closer to the goal of 7% or less than 8.8% on this dose regimen that you're on, your body is telling you it's time for us to now move to the next level of uh, of need, and that's insulin. The GLP-1 would have been great for you if you could have tolerated it, but now our option is the insulin option. And we need to make sure that the patient is on board with the fact that this is what their disease requires for their needs at this time. Do you think having that conversation with the patient that it's really not their fault gets rid of some of that diabetes distress and depression that, you know, somehow I'm on insulin, my diabetes is now serious, and it's really my fault. Absolutely, and that's why we start with the fact that it's been, this, this disease has been a, around for a while. This is not just you. This is the way the disease behaves, and so this is an expected point uh, in your clinical course. So how much would you start this patient on, 125 kilos? Well, this is, not, this is not your .1 unit per kilo per day guy. No, it isn't. Um, so I would start this guy at nothing less than 20 units. I mean, given the 125 kilos, uh, given the fact that he's at almost 9% baseline A1C on the regimen that he's on, uh, I would start at least in that ballpark and then talk about um, the titration schedule. And what I hear you saying is regardless of which insulin you choose, 20 units is a pretty reasonable starting dose, regardless Absolutely. of what those recommendations are. Absolutely. Okay, so what do you do when you talk to your patients about a titration algorithm? Let's say this patient is in your office, and you're going to talk about how do, you, how do you do this? When do you start to increase? How much do you increase by? So what we try to do is to, based on the type of basal insulin that's selected, and, and of course there are a number of options out there now, as we've discussed uh, elsewhere in this series on basal insulins, um, we, we talk about what the recommended titration schedule is. And again, we look at the patient's lifestyle. We look at our assessment of what is the patient likely to be able to incorporate into his or her lifestyle in a way that's not too burdensome for them. And then we, we, we start them off a little slowly, okay, and then let them make, get into the rhythm of of monitoring what the effect is. And it takes a while, you know, because I want them to see some difference. Right. And, 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 and that way they know that what they're doing is having an effect uh, on them. And so putting enough space in between the injection time so that they can start to see some measurable effects on their fasting glucoses, and that's what we focus on. Forget about your A1C for the moment. We're really now targeting fixing your fasting, and then we, we, we go from there. And, of course, I always like to give that first injection in the office, if it's feasible. The other point is, you know, Jim, starting insulin for a lot of patients is a little bit traumatic. 
this isn't just a let's start this and I'll see you in three or four months, right? Don't you want the patients to check back in with you? Absolutely. It's really important because you, you never know what they will encounter when they take this process, this new process for them, home uh, with them. People forget things, even when they write them down. They will forget what they, what they wrote down and where they put the note that they wrote it on. And I think it's important because many of our patients with diabetes, for the very first time, when you introduce a basal insulin, it's the first time when they say, well, how much am I going to need? You know, how much you're going to need is very individual, and we're going to have to find out. It's not just take this twice a day or here's 10 milligrams of something else, right? So it's a new concept for patients. Well, Dr. Gavin, thank you for joining us for this installment of our series on basal insulin, and thanks those of you for listening in. We thank you again for joining PrimeMed for today's podcast. Remember to claim your CME credits for the program on this activity's landing page on primed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Also, be sure to check out all of our other podcasts and primary care activities on primed.com as well. See you next time.